Well, it's uh, been a good worship gathering so far, uh, singing songs to our God, and uh, those baptisms are wonderful. I love that. Uh, my name is Todd. I am one of the pastors here, and today I'm joined on stage uh, with Keaton and Grant. And this is, as Josh shared earlier, uh, going to be a little bit different. Uh, rather than a sermon, it's going to be more of a conversation. Now, we did this a few months ago, and we talked about spiritual disciplines. Today, we're going to be talking about spirit, uh, excuse me, today we're going to be talking about trusting Scripture. And so, we want to invite you on the Connect cards, if there is a faith topic or a faith question that you think would, would might be interesting uh, for us to have a conversation about, about in the future, then please write that down on that Connect card, drop it in the offering buckets before you leave, and that's something that we'll be able to look at and, uh, and, and, and if it fits, you know, in the future, maybe be able to discuss here in one of these pastor's conversations. Uh, but today, all right, day after day, we open our Bibles looking for hope and inspiration. Uh, week after week, we gather with friends in small groups and we study the Bible. Next Sunday, we're celebrating Easter, which we read about in the Bible. Uh, how we live our lives, heaven that we're looking forward to. We find all of that in the Bible. And so I think it would behoove us, guys. That, that's right. Behoove. I, I think it would too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I think it would be very wise of us to look into this. Can we really trust what the Bible says? Uh, we want to be able to give answers to our children when they ask, do I need to base my life upon what I read here? Uh, we want to be able to have intelligent conversations with others about our faith. And so we're looking at trusting uh, Scripture. And so uh, let's start with, with this. What does God's speaking to humanity uh, demonstrate or reveal about himself? I think maybe the most um, important thing that it demonstrates is that God longs for us to know him. So there's a lot of benefit we get from God's word, in my opinion, but, but maybe the most important or the, the, the foremost, the thing we need to get first is that he wants to reveal himself to his creation, to us, his children. Um, when we think about uh, passages in the scripture like Psalm 19 that says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. It's obvious that God wanted to reveal himself through his creation in the world. And I think, too, it's true that he wants to reveal himself through his word. I think about um, Job. There's a lot of, like, powerful stuff God said in the book of Job. Um, he also we have this kind of question framed up in Job chapter 11. Can you solve the mysteries of God? <laughs> wow. Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? I don't like it when God asks me that question. I'm glad that he asked uh, Job instead. Um, but obviously the point there is that God is, well, God is mysterious. And, and it's impossible for us to know everything about God. And at the same time, God, God uses that mystery, I think, to intrigue and to, to, 
to grab a hold of us and our attention. He, if he was super easy to understand, there, what would be the point? I, we wouldn't want to follow and to serve a God like that. But there is this level of mystery to him. And in the New Testament, in the letter to the Colossians, Paul says this. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And he goes on to say, so we tell others about Christ. So this great mystery of God, God longs to reveal. And we're so, I'm so grateful for things like the, the word of God that we have a copy of for the messengers of God who have taken that message. They've been a vehicle of God to reveal God to us, his children. Yeah, right on. Uh, what what the scripture uh, says right there, uh, for God wanted them to know. God God wants us to know Him, uh, and He wants us to know His 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 way of living, <laughs> because life is tough and figuring this thing out is complicated. So He wants us to know Him and to know His ways. Uh, I think about something with the Bible is that we don't worship the Bible; we worship the God who gave us the Bible. And so uh, something that we say about the Bible is that it's inspired. And so what do we mean when we say it's inspired by God? All right, well, think, think about this. Uh, some of you have been to a library before. Uh, some of you might work at libraries. I love libraries because it's, libraries are filled with thousands and thousands of books. And there's all sorts of books. There's uh, history books. Uh, there's poetry there's biographies. Picture uh, books? There's picture books. <laughs> there are picture books, yes, for people uh, like me. I, I was going to say Grant, but I love picture <laughs> books. Just last week, I was sharing with you, I encourage you to read a children's Bible uh, because it has pictures and then in kind of summary. So, yes, thank you, Keaton, for sharing that. All right, libraries are full of thousands of books. So what does it mean when we say the Bible's inspired by God? It means that the Bible's not like one of those thousands of books. It means that the Bible stands alone. When we say inspired by God, we, we believe that God divinely influenced the human authors of Scripture so that what we read here is not man's word but God's word. So to disobey or disbelieve any part of the Bible is to disobey or disbelieve God. A nine-year-old could come in and say, uh, to their, and, and, and say to their older sibling, come outside and play with me. Well, that older sibling uh, just going to brush that off and go right on playing video games because I don't have to do what my little brother says. However, if that nine-year-old comes in and says, Dad said, come outside and play catch with me, well, that carries a lot more weight because now it's not the younger sibling's word, but it's Dad's word, and that has authority. If we look in the Old Testament, we see over and over again 
thus says the Lord. And then we go to the New Testament and we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. And so that means that this book is different from every other book. Uh, guys, what are, uh, well, are the historical details of the Bible true and, and why does that matter? Yeah, I think it does matter, and we have some some evidence in Scripture itself that that points to that. So um, Peter talks about this in a letter. He he says in Second Peter chapter one, um, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we rece- when he received honor and glory from God the Father. He says, and then the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my, my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Listen to this. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. So Peter is talking there most likely about his encounter with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus, as much as the people that were with him currently could bear, was his glory was displayed to them. Probably not in its fullness, or they would have all just killed over dead, I would imagine. But as much as they could handle, his glory was displayed to them. And Peter says, I saw it with my own eyes. So all this stuff that we value as God's inspired word is made even more sure because of what we saw. Yeah. Peter wasn't eyes. Peter wasn't writing about a legend that he had heard. He was writing about something that he experienced. And then uh, are, are are you going to bring up 1 Corinthians? I am going to bring it up unless okay. you're going to No, bring I it just up. brought it up. Beat you to it, <laughs> but you go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 we see these words. After that, he was seen Jesus by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And so we have Peter's personal experience, an incredible experience, but not just his alone. Up to 500 people, and really probably more than that, saw Jesus with their own eyes so we can take their words seriously, that yeah. they have firsthand experience. Yeah, with, with that, I love that passage there. And, and Paul, is, is he's writing about the resurrection of Jesus, which we're celebrating. We celebrate every Sunday, but especially yeah. next, next Sunday on Easter. Uh, but, but he's writing about the resurrection of Jesus and, and how he appeared. And he says, look, th- there were 500 other folks who saw him. You can go talk to them. In other words, the account is true. You can go check it out yourself. Uh, Grant, what do you got? What do you think yeah, about so this? So Keaton there is talking about internal, pretty much what is in the Word of God that we can look at as truth. And there's also the external evidence that we can look at. So what do you mean by external? Um, so things like geography, architecture, artifacts. Uh, speaking of picture books, I have a picture on the screen for you guys. Uh, this is of Lewis and Clark. They had an expedition. President Thomas Jefferson sent them out in 1803 to see if the Mississippi River connected with the Pacific Ocean. Why they didn't use Google Maps is beyond me, Uh, but they should have just done that. Instead, they went on this three-year journey to see if they connected. Well, how could we actually prove today that that took place? What would we do to say, hey, that expedition wasn't fake or phony, that it legitimately took place? We could go back and look at 
artifacts. We could look at archaeology and see, like, uh, when they went and uh, they had journals, they, they wrote out what they saw, um, they, they made maps. Is we could go back and look at these maps. Are the geographical features that they put on the maps still there today? Uh, the Native American tribes that they ran into, are those tribes there today, or is there history of them being where they traveled through? Uh, do we have artifacts that have been found at their campgrounds. So the same way we would prove something like that is the exact same way we would prove the Word of God, the stories in there. We can go back and look at the bodies of water, the geographical land features, and say, hey, that, those exist today. That is truth. We can go back and look at the people groups, the names mentioned, and realize, yes, history supports those individuals that they uh, existed. We can go back and look at uh, remnants of writings and see uh, that they have been found and that they uh, speak to the truth of the Word of God. Uh, this is going to be up on the screen, but archaeology has yielded over 25,000 finds that directly or indirectly relate to Scripture. And we see as recent as 1947, what was termed the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Uh, when these were found, uh, it, it showed that there were hundreds of manuscripts from the Old Testament. Uh, we see that the landscapes exist today. These people groups mentioned are real, that truth is found. Truth is found. And we also see extra biblical writings. That there were non-Christians in the time of the apostles' lives and shortly after that spoke and wrote of Jesus. People that had no reason, rhyme or reason, to push Christianity, but they spoke of Jesus. They knew of his ministry, they knew of what he had done, and they wrote about it. And we have these writings too, these extra biblical writings, to support the truth that we see in the Word of God. Uh, I, that's, that's good. Uh, that the archaeology yielded over 25,000 finds. Some of you may have been in like traveling. Well, you don't have to travel very far because there's folks who, you know, uh, look and dig up for research, you know, for in history, even around around here in our state uh, but some of you may have traveled internationally and may, may have been to some some archaeology uh, sites where they're uncovering you know ancient uh, peoples and things like that it's fascinating uh, I was uh, just down at the ballpark uh, just this past week and watching some peewee baseball and there's a lot of kids that love to play in the dirt uh, you know when they're on first base and second base it was we got a big kick out of it it was good. Uh, somebody, somebody told me, I can't remember, uh, but they said a kid got to first base, and, and this, this kid picked up some dirt and threw it at their first base coach and said, dirt fight. Um, so anyways, I didn't witness that. But, but I'm glad that there's some grown-ups that like to play in dirt uh, because through archaeology, they've just given us more reason and evidence that supports uh, that the Bible is the Word of God. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Uh, what does the canon of Scripture mean? And right now, you're thinking about Patches the Pirate, right? Canon on a pirate ship. But what, when we say canon of Scripture, what we're talking about there is the list of books that belong in the Bible. And now you're saying, hold up. <laughs> thought it was just the Bible, Okay, so it's one book, but it's made up of 66 smaller books. And so the Bible is actually one book that's a collection of smaller books. Um, let's give a, a quick overview of the books of the Bible. All right, 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years uh, wrote the books that we find here in the Bible. So how did these get not 
like picked out, but how did they get recognized as, oh, this is the canon of Scripture. These are the actual books of the Bible. How did these get recognized? Uh, well, here we go. So in the Old Testament, and that is the books that were written before the time of Jesus. All right, so over 2,000 years ago, uh, these books were written. There are 39 Old Testament books, and they can be broken down into four categories, as you see there on the chart. There's the Law or the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. It talks about creation and, and the, 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 the beginning of the people of Israel. And then you have historical books, wisdom or poetry books, and then prophets they're separated into two groups, but really, really all the prophetic books, they're called the major and the minor, and that's just because the major prophets, uh, they had a lot more to say, and the minor prophets uh, were more succinct uh, with their message there. And so that's the Old Testament books. And then we move to the New Testament, all right? New Testament, 27 books that are in the Bible also can be broken down into four categories. And we've got, we've got one of those kind of big categories here, kind of like the prophets in the Old Testament. So we'll explain that. So you've got the Gospels. And these are like ancient biographies about the person of Jesus. And then you've got a history book, which is Acts. And that's like history of the early church and how the church started to grow. And then you've got, this is the one that's really one category, but, but we, we got it separated here. The Epistles of Paul and the general epistles. And, and epistle is kind of like canon. It's a fun word. We, uh, but but a, an epistle is, is an, a letter, right? just like if you would write a letter to someone today. So these were letters that were written by church leaders to churches. And then you've got the prophetic book, Revelation. All right, how can we be confident that these 39 Old Testament and 27 New Testament books are the canon of Scripture, are the actual Word of God. Well, three things I'm going to throw by you right now. Number one is the faithfulness of God. All right? If God can, you know, create the planets and design the flamingo, I think he can handle getting his Word to us. Right? Like the, the, the message that he wants to get to us. He's not going to trick us. And so we look at the faithfulness of God that, okay, he's given us what he wants to give us. And the second thing is the power of God's word as we read it. Some of you are, gonna, are, are going right on with this because you have opened up the Bible different times in your life and you have felt God speaking directly to you. And it's called illumination when God opens our eyes to wonderful things here. And God, through God's word, he encourages us, he inspires us, he convicts us, he challenges us. The word of God is living and active. And so the power of God's word is another reason that we can be confident here. And then the last is the historical record of how these books were recognized by the early church. The early church looked at who the human authors were of these books and was their credibility there. They looked at the message of the books and, okay, is it found to be true or is there, there obvious things that are false here or that contradict the rest of Scripture? And then also, uh, they were generally accepted by the people of God or by the, by the broader church, not just by, by one person over here or one group over there. Now, you might hear someone say, well, 
aren't there other books that should have been included? Uh, well, just like there's a lot of books today that are written about Christianity in the Bible, and they're good books, but they're not Holy Spirit-inspired scripture, uh, there were ancient books that had some connection to the Bible. Uh, there was a, a group of books uh, that was written between the Old Testament and the New Testament called the Apocrypha. And then there are some books that were written in the first few centuries A.D. after the time of Christ uh, that, that might say they're a gospel, right? And they, they have some other name. Well, that's fine, but they're not Holy Spirit inspired. Think about this. They've had 2,000 years to make the list. And for obvious reasons, they didn't make the cut, Right? And so today there are no strong candidates for other books of the Bible. We can be confident that we have the, the correct canon of Scripture. All right, so these were written 2,000 years ago, though. Uh, can we trust that what we read today in these modern copies, can we trust that what we read today is accurate? Yes. All right, Next <laughs> we're <question>. done. <laughs> so... How did we get these writings today? From the time that they originated to the time that we have them now, what took place? Well, before the time of Xerox and the printing press, there was what we would call copyists or scribes that had an intense and scrutinous job to make sure that the Word of God was copied correctly. I've seen some people in science class that are really good at that. <laughs> yes. Copy in science class because it's tough. Mm -hmm. You copy somebody else's copy answer. Somebody, yes. Okay. Too, yeah. Not, this, yeah, not the same kind of copying, though. Here we go. Um, <laughs> so they would make sure when uh, uh, the original copy uh, of the Word of God would sh uh, show signs of wear and tear, uh, these scribes and copyists uh, would begin to copy the Word of God. Now, they used statistics to make sure that it was done precisely and accurately. I'm going to read you guys some numbers here. So with um, the uh, total number of verses in the book of Deuteronomy, total number of verses is 955. Uh, the total in the first five books of the Bible is 5,845. The total number of words in the first five books of the Bible is 97,856. And the total number of letters is 400,945. Why do we need to know that? Because when they copied the Word of God, they kept those numbers in line. They made sure what they started with was what they ended with so that the Word of God could be passed on accurately and precisely. So where we can know that what we have today is a true copy of the original word of God. It was measured mathematically. So we can know with confidence that the word of God has been taken care of, that it is the truthful word of God. And then we can also say, well, what about the manuscripts, Grant? What about all the manuscripts and copies out there? How do we rely on these things? How do we trust them? Uh, there's going to be a, a chart that's going to come up on the screen. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to show you guys three different types of writings. The, uh, the third there being the Bible. First is going to be uh, Homer's Iliad. Second is going to be Plato's writing. So uh, there's two columns here, the earliest copies. So the date that we know that the writing actually took place, when it was written, compared to the earliest copy, okay? Why is that important? Because the closer you get those numbers together, the more accurate and precise it is going to be, okay? So that's what we're looking at. The time it was originally written compared to the earliest manuscript copy we have. Uh, let's go ahead and look at Homer's Iliad. This is something that's taught to our local junior high students here, okay? Homer's Iliad, earliest copies are going to be 400 years. The, uh, the earliest manuscript we had compared to the date that it was supposedly written is 400 years. And we have 643 copies of these manuscripts. Uh, let's go ahead and play those writings. Um, uh, uh, you get into uh, philosophy, Socrates and his teachings uh, taught in a lot of colleges and a lot of universities. We see the earliest copies, that gap is 1,300 years. 
And the estimated number of true copies, and some may refute this, that there may be more in the teens or something like that, but it's seven. Seven. It's taught in our colleges and our universities as truth. Then we get into the Word of God, the New Testament. We're just going to look at the New Testament, the 27 out of the 66 books. The earliest copy we have is 50 years, closer than both of those. And we have 24,600 manuscript copies. So what does that mean? It means in terms of historical writing, the Word of God is the standard. And these others don't match up with it. And so we can look at the Word of God as truth. And be thankful, like Todd said, those that play in the dirt, those that do the research, have done their work to show that the Word of God is something that we can rely on. That it is truth. That it is truth. Math. <laughs> Man, that's good stuff. And, and really, like, that's serious business, right? Like, people took their responsibility and role very seriously to ensure that we have the most accurate copies of God's Word that we could possibly have. And, and so it, it, it is a serious work. And, and when people, you may have people do this to you, like, that, that you know, that you work with, that you they live in your neighborhood or wherever. They're like, they come up to you and they're like, why do you take God's Word so seriously. You, you just seem to take it a little too far. Well, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear a question like that, I think, how, how could I? It, it's not a matter of, of taking God's Word too seriously. It's a matter of taking God's Word for what it is. It's the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of the living God. Todd referenced 2 Timothy, another passage that I just absolutely love uh, that talks about God's word is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So people that say, I just think that you Christians take God's word too seriously. Or maybe they phrase it like this. Can we really think that God's word is still relevant today? I think that's a question that's clouded by perspective. The reason people ask if God's word is still relevant today is they're, they're thinking within our, our very strict culture and the time frame that, that they frame up our culture as if, Maybe now, for the first time ever, God's Word is irrelevant. But really, you don't even have to subscribe to what we've talked about so far. If you just step outside of our own Western American, the previous 200 years culture, several cultures before us have risen and fallen and thought maybe this was not relevant anymore to them. And so basing it on what your culture thinks is going to be a bad way to go. God's word is incredibly relevant, and it determines our thoughts. It determines how we handle our feelings, not the other way around. We don't get to dictate if God's word is valid because we think maybe it's not or because it doesn't feel like that's something I should do. God's word sets the tone. It sets the precedent. The precedent. My thoughts become slave and subject to God's Word. My feelings and the way I interact with them are determined by God's Word. And let's not forget this. God's Word, it's a fun thing to encounter. We talked about how it's, it's a story of mystery being illuminated. It's, it's full of stories of valor and of conquest, stories of great passion and 
compassion. It's stories of poetry and ancient proverb. It's full of songs. It's full of moral failures and miraculous victory. It gives us examples of how to live and how to teach and even future prophecy. So it's not just all this academic stuff. It's, it really is alive and powerful and entertaining and fun and something to engage with. It's the living word of God. Yeah, right on. <laughs> right on it is. It's not a boring book. It's fascinating. Uh, so a uh, last kind of question to bring up here is uh, even among professing you know, followers of Jesus, knowing and understanding the Bible can be a struggle. So what can we do to combat biblical illiteracy? Um, I think first for us... Uh, church, Christian, for us to realize that we need to take ownership in the problem. Uh, we need to realize that it's not just a they or them problem. It's not a generation XYZ problem. It's not a that's my next door neighbor's problem. Uh, it's a me, it's a we problem. And that's something that we can fix though. And to do that, we need to know the answer to the problem. Simply become literate in the word of God. And how do we do that? It's by studying the word of God. Become a student, uh, read it, Dive into it, jump into it, memorize it, pray it, meditate on it, understand the importance of the Word of God. What we've just talked about and spent time talking about this morning, it's to our benefit, church, that we realize that this is truth, but for us to, to be engaged in it. Uh, Ephesians 6 talks about um, that we are in a spiritual war, not a war of flesh, but we are in a spiritual war. There is a war raging on. Um, and so if if we kind of uh, take a step back and think of this example, in the military, you have soldiers. Uh, you have soldiers that sign up. Uh, they enlist, they train, they prepare, they study, they practice, they learn how to um, uh, uh, prepare for, for battle, they, they, they um, uh, go out and study the enemy, they prepare themselves for when these things take place. But what if, what if a, a war came along and these soldiers, after being trained, prepared, studied, enlisted, and they said, you know what? I got a rough week this week. It just ain't going to happen. I can't do it this week. What if instead they said, you know what, this, this isn't my problem. Go talk to the colonel over there. He's the one that talks about all this stuff all the time. Go over there and talk to him. What if instead we say, you know what, I'm just going to sit this one out. This ain't my fight. It wouldn't be a good soldier. The war would not go well. It just wouldn't. Instead, church, soldier, we are to realize that we are in a battle. And it's for us to simply educate ourselves. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 9. It's going to be up on the screen as to how we can handle, how we can, uh, can combat biblical illiteracy. This is in reference to the Word of God and how God is speaking and how they, are sure, how they should handle the Word of God. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It means if you have a child, pour into them. If you have a grandchild, pour into them. If you have a neighbor, pour into them. If you wake up in the morning, it better be filled with scripture. Before you lay down your head, read the word of God. It, it needs to be some, something that somebody looks at you and be like, they have nothing to say but scripture. Yes, yes, and yes, church. Dive into it, and our response is simply get into the Word of God. 
There are a number of things going on here. Keaton and Todd are going to share some of those, but there's a number of ways for you to get involved. But how you do that is you got to do this. You got to take a step. You just can't sit there. You got to take a step and jump into the Word of God. And it's something that we can all do together. It's not something that I'm doing alone. We can do this together, church. We can, and we can do it with God's help as well. Yeah, yeah, right on. Uh, so we've got here at Holland Chapel, besides preaching and teaching from the Word of God at our worship gatherings, we've also got HC groups, and uh, they study the Bible in, in uh, different ways, from studying and walking through books of the Bible to uh, Bible survey, which kind of gives you an overview of the New Testament or the Old Testament and Bible interpretation uh, our students, uh, we've got a student group on Sunday mornings, and uh, they, uh, they're looking, one of the th disciplines they've been looking at is how to study God's Word, and so you've got that, and then uh, I've got a little uh, lanyard for y'all this morning, just a little extra for free, and uh, Right Now Media, if you can put that slide up there. So Right Now Media, uh, you, uh, you can access that through the Han Chapel website and get your, your free account there. There's a couple resources there that are really helpful. One is uh, Sean McDowell, Quick Answers. One of our uh, connect groups is actually walking through this, and it's apologetics or uh, kind of a defense of the faith questions that he addresses, and, and several of them are about, can we trust the, the Bible, you know, you know, what books are in the Bible, and that type of thing. And then there's also this uh, documentary there that you see on the screen, The God Who Speaks. Uh, very fascinating, very educational, and uh, faith-strengthening when it comes to trusting uh, Scripture. Uh, Keaton, you got anything else? Yeah, I think another um, resource could be gotquestions.org. This is something that I know our student ministry has used, and frankly, we use a lot. Um, it's just a really neat resource for you. If you ever have any questions about the Word of God, reach out to us, obviously, but, but if you want to do some more studying on your own time or whatever, and this is just a great resource to get some quick things. Obviously, at the end of the day, we, we go to God's Word for answers about the Word of God, and like Grant said, we become literate and familiar with, not only in our minds, but in our hearts with the Word of God. But these types of things we're mentioning now can be a great practical resource if you're thinking, I, I just need a little help getting started. I, I need to know something to do there. We've also talked about the uh, New City Catechism can be a great resource. I, we use that for my kids, but frankly, it's a benefit to me too to be constantly reminding myself, myself of the principles of God's Word. Right on. Uh, Keaton Grant, thank you. Enjoyed having this conversation with you. Well, we hope that it has been encouraging to you uh, because we believe that the Bible is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God and that it is our authoritative guide for faith and living. Uh, as always, at, at, at these worship gatherings, you can respond. If, if there's a next step that you need to take, then please take that today. You can mark that on your Connect card. Uh, you can speak to one of our friends in the Connect corner before you leave. Um, um, but respond to Jesus. Don't, don't just walk away. Uh, that's saying no uh, to that next step that he's asking you to take. Uh, if you will, uh, let's pray, and then Josh is going to come with some closing announcements. Almighty God, thank you for your word so that we might know you and might know your ways. Um, please help us to be people of the book, growing in grace and knowledge. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, amen.